Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago and joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the founder of Mission USA. Hey, I'm just still glowing from last week's The Daddy's After Parties. Yeah. It was really pretty exciting. <laughs> pretty good. Also joining us, Director of Mission USA Productions, Jed Brewer. You wouldn't believe the swag in the gift bags that oh, you yeah. get from the Thaddies. Yep. It's pretty special. Yeah. Mostly just pictures of Glenn. <laughs> but we're glad to get them. Glenn Funko Pops went quickly this year. Yeah. <laughs> Watch out for those on eBay. Join us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. My main memory from the Thaddies after party was that one point when everybody was, you know, just having a great time. And I look over in the corner, and there in the, you know, and there was a kiddie pool filled to the brim with candy corn, and Glenn just sitting right in the middle of all of it. Yeah. 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 Pretty special. Yeah. Blank, expressionless. Mask on his face, just sitting in a pool of candy corn, <laughs> staring intently. But we don't have time to dwell on that. We have wonderful questions brought sent in by yourselves, fine listeners. But unfortunately, before we can get to those, I must declare a legal emergency. Oh my goodness! A legal emergency. Wow. Nope. Somebody didn't finally find out what we say on the show and lawyer up. Okay. Not that. Not that much of an emergency. Okay. So. Not yet. That's settled, but we we have committed a lot of copyright infringements well, that's on the show. Pope, you like slander. a hurricane among them? Yeah, the scorpions are litigious. They just can't get. They just can't get all on the same page. So much infighting. Yeah, yeah. We are. I read from Raw Story. Okay, a journalistic website. I read the headline. Christian activist plans to sue NFL because Shakira and J-Lo performance endangered his eternal soul. <laughs> wow. Okay. So, obviously, that's crazy pants. Yeah. Right. And that's some Christian weirdo who's just saying that for to try to get attention. And the mainstream right, that's right. press thinks so little of Christians because Christian weirdos have done so much stuff that they looked at that and said, seems like some of those people would do and wrote the story. Yeah. Right. So there's that. Um, but... Here's what I like is because you know uh, law is all set, American law is all set on precedent, right? Right. Case case law and all this. Yeah. Does this open up a new wide world of spiritual lawsuits? Oh yeah. That we can abuse. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So like, if a guy writes a book, yeah, and you pay for the book, and uh-huh. he's like, "Well, I was on a Christian shelves. Maybe I'll live my life by this book." And that dude's ended up saying, like, nah, that was that was dumb. I'm going a different way now. I assume you get to sue him for that money back plus interest and compensatory damages. Well, you got your uh, mental suffering. Anguish. Absolutely. You got, uh, you, you know, your, got your punitive damages. Your punitive. Loss of wages. Yeah. You got, uh, you know, the counseling that you had to get sure, to yeah. deal with it. You yeah. Know. Uh, here's another thing. What if you bought this book because it was a Christian bestseller? This is a crazy thing. It probably never right. happens all the right, time. Right, right. You bought the book because it's a Christian bestseller, and you found out it's a bestseller because the author bought a bunch of the copies, <laughs> making it a bestseller. Okay, okay, yes. Could you sue for that because well, of like the fraud element of that? In holy court, you definitely could. I see. Yeah. Yeah. Like the court of judgment. Exactly. Okay, well, here's the next one. If a televangelist urges you to plant a seed of faith, uh-huh. and you do, 
but you don't reap a great harvest. Right. Mm-hmm. Even you, though you sealed the Ziploc bag, so your blessing stayed fresh, a real thing. Exactly right. right. Are you entitled to uh, damages? Well, this this leads us to another consideration here, which is, you know, we, we've often told Christians, you are not the sin police. Right. Your job is not to go around in the world and point at things and say, ooh, 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 sin. A sin. You know, that's, yeah. not, that's not useful. <laughs> yes. Nobody wants you to do that. Soft pudding. Uh, but the thing is, they, they haven't heard that message. Right. So yes. they just keep, they keep doing it. Well, they certainly haven't onboarded that message. That's right. So I'm thinking, let's lean into that. Okay. And just have like a, a law and order show. Gung, gung. But it's the sin police. Oh. And they're taking them to sin court. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I like every bit of that. Just play it out all the way. Yeah. You know, and so what you have is the guy who's saying, you know, my immortal soul is in jeopardy because of choreography. Right. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) And that's on one side. And on the other side, you have Satan. Right. Who... I insist would be played by John Lovitz. Of course, yes. As, as he was in the <laughs> SNL uh, yep. uh, skit where he plays Satan in the People's Court. Yep, yep. Similar kind of situation. Oh, yeah. And just, uh, you know, we play out all the angles. I got to be honest. For me, this would be must-see TV. Yeah. And yet for so much of our audience, that was a series of references they don't understand. <laughs> well, there is that. John Lovitz. Yeah. SNL. Yeah. People's Court. Yeah. Right? That's true. That yeah. was kind of a, that was a layer cake. We are old. Things that the millennials are frantically Googling. It's the, right. it's the we are old hat trick. Yeah, it really, really is. Well, I think there's also, so we could, we could have small claims, spiritual court. Yeah. Oh, I like that. And kind of, you know, I was trying to focus on the sermon, but this dude over here kept like, really scratching his head in a way that was weird yeah. and persistent. And I got kind of caught up in that. And I may, maybe pastor said the thing that was going to lock my, the spiritual mysteries, but I don't know. Cause I was just sitting here going, why is he scratching his left ear with his right hand? You know what? Who if, does that? If we could sue people for acting weird in church, I think it could make church a, a much better place. Yes. yes. <laughs> and I've had many, many, Cases I think we could take to court. I'll give you an example. Okay. Please do. A buddy of mine had a church. I, I won't mention the name of the church. Don't want to embarrass anybody. They had a church, and they were having struggles. Um, they had some good people, and there were some solid people, but they were having problems growing. And I, he, he wanted me to come and give him some ideas on what, what maybe the problem was and what maybe the solution was. I got okay. there, and the... The the social environment of this situation the, of this of this church was awkward. Okay. To the power of awkward. Oh. I wow. mean, it was awkward squared. Okay. It was awkward. Yeah. Not bad, just really awkward. Right. So, so you know, mingling and picking up on the awkward. We go into the service. I sit in the service. I'm sitting behind a guy. The guy has on a toupee. Okay. Now, as a bald man, I'm, of course, prejudiced against toupee wearers, but, okay. you know, that's, you know, for a dude, you know, just let it all hang out, sure. you know. He's got the toupee on, but this is the critical part. The toupee, I kid you not, is losing hair. 
<laughs> I can see meta balls going for a kind of a cinema verite. I'm just of. saying, I and it's like I'm trying to look over his head to the pastor, yes. who's a buddy of mine. Yeah. I can't hear a word this dude's saying. Yeah, of course, because That's, of the balding toupee. This is a this is a spiritual blockage right. that's happening yes. because the toupee. I mean, why are we doing this if I'm just looking at? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I think we ought to be able to sue for that. Uh, makes perfect sense. There's some kind of compensatory damage. Mm-hmm. Certainly. Um, just yeah. make your case. Why is this the thing to do? Yeah, you know. What yeah. I mean? What about the idea of the? Uh, the you know the 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 Christian kids who were promised that if they if they stayed pure that they would be <laughs> guaranteed an amazing marriage and then so they take that to a uh, that, that's a that's a court case I feel like they could they could get some here back on. Yes. Talking about class action suits now. Oh, there it is. There it is. Yeah, yeah. class yeah. action suit and yeah, sure the the youth groups of America versus. All dozens and dozens of Christian authors from 1988 to 1997. Yeah. But I've said this many times, when you buy a purity ring, always keep the receipt. And this is the reason why, because you're <laughs> going to want to sue for the cost of that purity ring. There you go. It's not doing what you think it's going to do for You've you. You've got to have a paper trail. Um, but I think the problem with that is, as we know, this is a Christian money, Christian publishing. And as we've learned, for the downfall, a lot of these guys don't save their money very well. So we don't want them to be able to snake out of it. You know? So I'm pitching a, a kind of hybrid justice system where we you go through the trial with the jury of your peers and the whole shebang. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then in the end, we have some kind of stocks and rotten fruit kind of situation. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Kind yeah, of more excellent. old school yeah. kind of, you know, it's not really about the money. Yeah. But, you know, based you on how expensive it. the book was. Yeah, you know, if you bought the book at sale price, you get a tomato. If the... If Somebody sold you a book where they claimed a guy was the Antichrist, and then that guy is now dead, and then the Christian bookstore is still trying to sell that book once he's dead. You know. Yeah, yeah. I think we have to have a sliding scale here. So you bought the book, and right. it, was, it was on the end cap. You bought it for full price. Well, let me give you two fairly ripe tomatoes. Yeah. Let's say you went to the conference, right. and you paid for the thing. Uh, something in the neighborhood of a gourd. <laughs> see, see, here's the thing, Matt, that is the punishment has to fit the crime. Okay. Okay. So here's the way you work it out. Ironic you, punishment division. If you wrote a book about Christian purity, right. we take you back to Puritan time. Oh. Okay. You know what I'm saying? And then like we, we're, we're branding you with a thing and mm. throwing things at you in the stocks and whatnot. Right. That's... But if you wrote about purity, we give you a Puritan. Uh, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I can track. I, I like track. that. I like that. How about if you ever uh, put out a book about this weird kind of pseudo insane Christian masculinity? Uh-huh. Oh like yeah, kind of. But you turned out to just be a grifter. Uh-huh. We just a certain number of minutes in the ring with the UFC welterweight. Yes, yeah. just to show how much of a real man you really are. Yeah. Also, if you ever had to endure one of those Christian strongman demonstrations, can you just get something? Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. Is there just some kind of recompense for this ever? Yeah. Also, if we have small kind of misdemeanor offenses. 
that Christians commit, can we force them to be in Glenn's puppet ministry? Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, we're also, we need to add this one in, because it's like, you can drive your car down the road, that's legal. Right. You can drive it at the speed limit, that's fine. Right. But if you drive it twice that, we give you a ticket. Right. You see what I'm saying? You have to pay a fine for right. that. The same should apply to the number of times we're repeating this chorus yes. on this praise and worship Wow, song. dude, yeah. you you yeah. just nailed it, man. See what I mean? You put, you put on a, a certain limit. If you go over the limit, I'm afraid we're going to have to levy some penalties. Yeah. Here. Yeah, yeah. I think that would make the world a better place. No question. Well, much in the same way that a lot of municipalities have, because they know they can't get like a property tax increases raised, they just try to make it up through like fees, parking, something that. I think if you're a church and your budget's hurting, you're not getting money out of the people, turning this on is kind of a penalty system. Yeah. How, 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 how many minutes do you want over your time, Pastor? <laughs> how many choruses go. do you want? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe yeah. We, we take up a collection and, you know, you can leave ten minutes early. Just got to drop a bucket, drop a buck in the plate. Right, 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 right. Yeah. It's kind of a you know. Let's let's really leverage the justice system model for our own monetary gain. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I think we just fixed church, fellas. Yeah. Yet again, you're yep. welcome. You're welcome. And yet again, we declare emergency off. Mm. Yes, yes. Until we get the church fine system in place, and who, boy, is that chorus penalty going to be a moneymaker? <laughs> and you better believe you're playing triple if you try to repeat a bridge, because that just absolutely will not stand. Um, so uh, until we do that, we're going to continue uh, doing our, our little bit through Bridgebox that pays for our deacon ministry. Uh, folks helping uh, our deacons help folks get uh, jobs, get housing, get uh, furniture, get help with drug recovery, all sorts of wonderful stuff. Uh, write letters to folks who are still incarcerated. Uh, and you can be part of all of that that's going on by signing up for Bridgebox, missionusa.com slash Bridgebox. Only $8 a month. Get all sorts of cool stuff in your inbox. We're still in the month of February. We're looking at the question of dealing with slow progress. So you get songs, sermons from Glenn and myself, Bible studies, all sorts of good stuff. Based around a topic, every the first of every month, missionusa.com slash bridgebox. All right, we're just jump to our first question here. Hey, let's all the way in all the way to the end, I'll give you some ways you can touch this, or you can scroll down into your episode description and click the links there. First question comes in anonymously and it says, I am struggling with my faith and my walk with God. I feel like the environment I'm in is an impossible place to be a Christian. There's anger and tension here, there's lies and deception and all kinds of people around me. I feel like I'm being picked apart. Mm. And Glenn, obviously a, a fairly extreme situation, but I think a, a situation a lot of us can deal with. Maybe particularly we didn't grow up Christian, this idea of we're trying to make this big change, but we still have a maybe an old environment around us, or that could be work, that could be family, mm. just a non-conducive environment. How do we start working through that? Well, I think it begins with recognizing that God understands, that God uh, it doesn't have some sort of crazy high expectations that you would uh, somehow be able to snap your fingers and transcend every last element of this all in one go. Right. Uh, so it's 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 about understanding where God is in this situation, and in your case. It's about understanding that God is on your side. He's in your corner. He cares about you. 
and he's with you in this uh, in this situation. The the reality is, um, I am a Christian uh, because of the work that Christ did on the cross for me. But I live as a Christian because I have the support of other Christians. Amen. Uh, I that's not uh, uh, the support of all Christians everywhere, of course, uh, but uh, the the people who are closest to me that support me and keep me going. If I did not have that, I would struggle. I'm sure as bad, if not worse, than than you are in this situation. So let's begin with with that sort of level setting and appropriate levels of of expectation on you. I think the second thing is to recognize what's out of your control. Uh, that's really, really important. Uh, if there is a level of chaos and madness and craziness or you know, an in institutional negativity that you're dealing with, that's not something that's going to change overnight. And that's not something that you can control. But it's funny how much we get our sense of self from the people around us. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you grew up in a dysfunctional family in the way that I did, you're constantly just asking, is it just me or am I crazy or are they crazy? It, it, other people can look at that and say, oh, they're crazy. This, you know, There was just no two ways of looking at this. But when you're in it, it's hard to tell because all of us get our sense of self sort of reflected back from others. You know, Our close friends tell us, Oh, you're good at this, or you you always do a great job with this, or I wish I was more like you in this way, and so you you absorb that. Well, when you're in an environment that's negative and toxic, you don't feel Christian because no one's reflecting that back to you. Right, at all. right. That doesn't mean you aren't being Christian. You might be being super Christian uh, and shining a light in darkness and and having. A, a a sort of a seed planting effect that's going to eventually make a difference down the line, but you have no way of seeing that in this moment. So that's why it's important to draw close to the Lord, let him comfort you in this moment. Things may change significantly down the line with all these things, uh, but it's we, we need God to be in this moment because we're not, you know, we're not going to, it, it 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 does you no good to know that you this might be great later because we're not living later we're living now. Final thing is, uh, it's always important to have a mentality as a Christian. Are other people getting to you? Or are you getting to them? Mm. It it seems like the goal is let's all hold hands and sing and be in harmony and 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 just be. And we're all going to be spiritual and holy, and this is not how this goes. Either you're being an influence on me, or I'm being an influence on you, and I need to be the one to choose that. If I'm around somebody who's smarter than I am, stronger than I am, uh, knows more about the Lord, has a particular area where they have a strength that I want to absorb, I'm choosing to let them be an influence on me. I'm telling them you are an influence on me. I'm asking for their help and their input and their thoughts. But if uh, if that is not the case, I am clearly trying to be an influence on that other person. Again, I don't have control over that. Control and influence are two different words here. Yeah. I'm choosing them carefully. Uh, but uh, if I am planting a seed in your life, you can you can curse me, you can say negative things about me, you can be 
telling lies about me, spreading rumors about me, any of those things. But if I'm planting a seed, I'm going to have that long-term victory. I'm getting to you. You're not getting to me. You don't take me off of my square. You don't change the, the trajectory of my life. I'm changing yours by being loving and being gracious and being patient and staying connected to the Lord. Amen. That's a really, really fantastic place to start that off. And Jed, where would we take it from there? That's a great question, man. I, I certainly agree with everything Glenn said, and I really just want to build on that. So let's start with something that you might have heard of before called the serenity prayer. Uh, it's real, real simple. It says, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. It's a great prayer. Uh, most folks who've been through some form of addiction recovery uh, are very familiar with the serenity prayer. And... Um, he, you know, there are certain things that kind of get used around Christian stuff and Christian culture that are kind of trite. This is not one of them. Right. Uh, this is a deeply, deeply insightful, uh, uh, powerful thing. And as they say in addiction recovery, it works when you work it. Um, mm. there, there's not exactly magic in just reciting the words. The, the magic comes in living the words. So um, we want to go to the Lord and directly ask for that sense of peace that passes all understanding about the things that we don't have control over, uh, the courage to take action when and where we can, and again, that wisdom and discernment to be able to tell the difference between those two things. But here's the key thing is, there are times in our life where we need to do that about five minutes at a time. Uh, there are some situations, there are some seasons that are so overwhelming where we need to kind of keep going back to the Lord again and again and again, saying, I need peace. Yeah. I am I am giving up these burdens to you. I need peace. I recognize I cannot control thing X. You can. I'm asking you to be at work in it. I also recognize I can I can do something about elements Y and Z and PDQ, and I'm asking you to give me the strength and the courage to go do those and to help me see the other places where I can do something and then and then get to it. Uh, those are those are powerful concepts. Um I think one of the things that's really, really tough is when we're going through a really rough time, a really rough season in a rough environment, like our question asker is, the thing we want is just get me out of this. Mm. That's, that's, don't tell me about anything else. Just get me out of this, which, hey man, I don't argue with that at all. I, when I'm in those situations, that's exactly how I feel and exactly what I want. What I found the vast majority of the time is the Lord's response is, I want to get you through this. You want me to get you out of it. I want to get you through it. Those are two very, very different things. Um, getting through it means a few minutes at a time coming to me with your needs um, and getting from me that peace and getting from me that courage and getting from me that wisdom, that direction, and letting me strengthen you and letting me sustain you. And I will tell you something that is absolutely true that I don't think is a comfort when you're going through really awful times, but it's good to have in the back of your brain. And that is God wants to bring good things out of your rough seasons. Mm. He, he really does. Um, yeah. Many of those good things may be internal to you. Many of those good things may have more to do with your relationship with the Lord than they do with your external circumstances, but he wants to bring good things out of those rough situations. But a lot of those good things tend to happen when we're wrestling with that situation, when we're engaged five minutes at a time with getting the strength that we need from the Lord and crying out to him and making it clear that we hate what we are dealing with. 
I'll offer you one more thing. It's a thing that I, I picked up recently from a friend of the show who's gone through a very rough time. We have a friend named Celepria Makri, who's a cool dude. He helps people in addiction recovery. Um, he is a U.S. legal resident. He always has been a U.S. legal resident. And um, a little while back, he was detained by ICE uh, uh-huh. and spent months and months and months away from his family unjustly uh, in an ICE detention facility. Uh, his father actually died. While he was in ICE detention, uh, he wasn't permitted to attend the funeral. Uh, it was it was all the way bad. And uh, we were talking as a part of our, our uh, radio outreach show, The Bridge Loud, um, and Slepery made a comment that, that's really stuck with me, which is when you're going through a rough time, you can do time or you can use time. Those are the two options that are available to right. you. If you use time, you can grow both in your walk and as a person. You can lay the groundwork for what will come next in your life. Uh, You can um, see all kinds of of fruit come out even of that difficult circumstance. If you do time, this will take forever and you will hate every aspect of it. And you've got a choice about five minutes at a time, whether you're doing time or whether you're using time. But, but that actually is the choice that's before you, is are we going to use this time in a constructive way to the best of our ability, or are we going to do time and suffer in the midst of it? Um, I, I know that's not an easy answer, but, but that's kind of the way forward. We want to encourage you to get what you need from the Lord so that you can use that time a little bit at a time. It's really, really good stuff. And Lee, let's say we're going to take that very good advice Joseph's given us and stuff. We're going to yeah. use this time. We're in this tough circumstance. What, what would doing that look like? Yeah, I absolutely love everything that these two guys have said on this, and 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 I'm just going to give a couple of practical, um, just just a couple of practical ways to kind of drill down on exactly what these guys are talking about. One of those things would be to um, to be on the lookout for um, opportunities to forge relationships with anyone in that environment who may be healthy. Um, you may be completely yeah. out of control of of where you are or how long you are there, but if there's anybody else in that situation who is a healthy person, that's the relationship that we want to put some energy into and some time into if we get a chance. Here's the next thing that I would say is that you may not have a lot of time to yourself. Um, all the guys that that host this show... Uh, including myself, do quite a little bit of of prison ministry. And we work with guys that don't have a lot of alone time. Um, But what one of the the pieces of advice that we always give guys is, if you do have any pockets of alone time, make uh, be really, really intentional about how you spend that time. I, I love the things that Jed is saying about going back to the Lord over and over and over again for, um, for peace that transcends understanding for, for energy and for clarity and for, uh, you know, all the kinds of, you know, uh, all the kind of the, the wisdom to, to know, you know, where to pour your energy into, uh, you know, how to manage these relationships and all that kind of stuff to keep going back to the Lord over and over again. We want to be extremely intentional about any alone time you get. When you are in a situation where you are out of control of the schedule, if you are granted time to yourself, that is the time that you want to treasure and you want to focus that down to time where you are praying to the Lord specifically about uh, you know about what relationships to pour into, about how to 
you know, how to manage your emotions, uh, you know, checking in with the Lord, asking him for peace, all those kinds of things, uh, going to the scriptures that are going to give you encouragement, that kind of thing, listening to the Lord. We want to really be intentional about any alone time that you get. And the last thing that I would say on this is just right along with what these guys are saying is, um, and, and I did not make this up, I stole this, um, but the people of God, men and women of God, they don't react, they act. And so what we want to do is we want to be really intentional about our response to different stimuli. Okay, so like we want to think beforehand, almost imagine um, or or use... Uh, not even imagination, but just situations where different authority figures in the situation that you're in, watch the way that they treat people and ask the Lord, what is the most godly way for me to handle that situation if it comes into my court? Um, How should I respond to somebody that's in authority over me if they treat me that way, if they talk to me that way? How do you want me to handle that, Lord? I'm going to come to you with a few options, and I want your spirit to guide me in the ways that I can do that. Because I don't want to just be a person who reacts. I want to be a person who acts. I want to have good responses. I want to have godly um, attitudes. I want to be treating people in a way that I am on the forefront not just simply responding to stimuli in the moment. I want to be I want to be going ahead and 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 seeking the Lord's uh you know direction so that so that I've got discernment on uh, and I'm ready with I'm ready with my responses because I've already been preemptively acting out these scenarios in prayer in in conversations with people who are healthy. Uh, again, this is all the same kind of stuff. We all we've done is we've just brought into development all the things that Glenn already said, which is you're out of control of the situation. What things can you control? And so we want to think about are there any healthy relationships I can develop? How do I best use um any alone time that I that I do have if I get any at all? And three, how do I really, really be intentional about how I'm going to respond to certain stimuli so that I'm a person, uh, a man or woman of God who acts and doesn't simply react? All fantastic stuff from these guys. And if you want to hear the song uh, that our friend Slippery wrote after the experience Jed mentioned, that closes out episode 388 of this here podcast. You can go check that out. That's from October of 2019 if you want to hear that. All right, we're going to jump to our next question here. It comes in anonymously and it says, I'm doing better today, but I feel like my past will always follow me. I know my life can be better, but how good can it get after all the mistakes I've made? And again, another uh, really honest, really good question. And Jed, where would we kick off with it? Well, we're really proud of you. It sounds like you're doing great. We're, we're glad that you're working your recovery. We're glad that it's going well. Um, we've all made mistakes. All of us. Yeah. All we've got down here on planet Earth are mistake-making centers. So you're you're in the same boat as me and the rest of us. Uh, but I get your question. You know, it, it does kind of feel like if I've you know, if I've messed up to a certain degree, then then probably my options are limited. It feels that way, but it isn't that way. I mean, it just life doesn't work that way. It, it, and on two levels, the first is that actually, you know, with very very rare exceptions, you know, I mean. If you, you know, for for some people in addiction recovery, they they may be you know in their their forties or fifties or sixties when they kind of come out of their addiction, and um, most forms of professional sports probably you know 
uh, have passed by at that point, but most of us are not trying to be in the NFL. So, you know, I mean, uh, that's okay. It, it turns out for, for most of life, even in just a human sense, there's not really any limits. Not really. Um, as someone who's worked with folks in addiction recovery for a long time, if you'll work your recovery and, and kind of take the next steps in front of you five years from now, you won't believe the life you're in. You, yeah. you won't recognize it. And the people who know you then wouldn't, you could tell them your past. They wouldn't believe you. They they would just they just wouldn't have a space in their brain for it. So, in in a human sense, there, there really aren't the limits that we suspect that there are. There there just aren't. Um, but then, in a spiritual sense, there are super no limits to what God can do in your life Amen. or wants to do in your life. I mean, there are super duper no limits of any kind. I think the the real question becomes. How do we get there? How do we actually get through whatever desert we're facing and to that promised land? And to that, I think we need two things that are really critical that, again, have both a human quality to them and a spiritual quality to them. The first thing that we need is strategy. There's just no good reason to reinvent the wheel, and there's no reason to learn stuff the hard way. Um, other people have had to walk this path before you. <laughs> you should honor their sacrifice by not having to do things the hard way that they had to do them. Um, it, it, it will be better for them and better for you. Whatever you're facing, whether that's dealing with job stuff or housing stuff or maybe legal concerns, you know, you need to get your license back or whatever. There are experts in that field who can help you. Um, and, and who can shave years off of that process. We want to find those experts. Uh, we don't want to lean on our own understanding. Um, and, and we don't want to spiritualize this either. We don't want to make it be a thing, well, well, if God wants me to get my license back, then it doesn't really matter if I've got an attorney or not. It'll just happen. No, it, it matters if you have an attorney. You, you should you should go get an attorney. They will they will help with that process. We, we want to get experts. We want to get advocates on our side. That's That's a good thing. But then the second thing that we need and that we really, really need, and this is one where we need it from the Lord, is patience by the boatload. Because mm. the funny thing, I said to you five years, here's the funny thing about five years. In one sense, that's not that long a time, particularly if you're living it one day at a time. It, it's, just, it's just not, man. A, a year passes before you know it. It's really true. In another sense, five years is forever. It is an eternity times a thousand. How could someone possibly wait that long? So it's one of these, there's this weird thing about going through big transitions in our lives where on the one hand, if you're willing to be patient and focused and disciplined for a period of five years, amazing, unbelievable things can happen. But it's also a huge ask to be patient and focused and disciplined for five years. And so we really, we don't want to rely on our own strength or on our own willpower, our own self-control for that. We want to get those things from the Lord. We want to get that strength from Him, that patience from Him, that, that drive and determination and long-suffering from Him. That's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And this is the key thing. He wants to give that to you. Mm. It's, it's not just that God has a promised land that he wants to, to lead you to. He wants to give you what you need to walk the road that gets there. Um, I think one of the things when we feel like we've made some mistakes that can wear on us is a sense of, okay, it's nice that I've got a second chance, but I, I really need to, I need to show up and be impressive now. You know, I mean, like the bar's kind of like twice as high, given that I got to prove that I'm, I'm not a screw up. God does not feel that way about you. 
We don't feel that way about you, but God definitely does not feel that way about you. God knows this is hard. God knows this is challenging. God also knows it's worth it. God also knows it's worth it to get through this desert to that promised land, but he knows it's a hard journey. He wants to help you. He wants to equip you. He wants to give you everything that you need for this journey one day at a time. So I think the key thing is starting now, go to him and start getting that patience and that strength and that courage. Start asking for that strategy. Ask for those advisors. Ask for those people that can help you take years off this process and get you where you're going. That's all, all excellent stuff. And Glenn, um, where would we take it from there? Well. I think and I love everything that Jed's talking about here. And as he was talking, I was thinking about the people that in my life that I've known to be extraordinary, and the people in my life mm. that had every reason to be extraordinary and were not extraordinary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm going to divide those two people up because there are some very stark similarities for for people in each of those camps. The people in my life that could have been extraordinary but were not extraordinary, they had everything going for them, but they were not extraordinary. Here's what was key in their life. They had a small obstacle that they did not take on. Yep. I mean, that is the most common thing that I see. From I mean, they've got all the potential. This is a wonderful preacher. This is a wonderful person. This has all the right burdens and the connections and the things and was uh, whatever it is. But here's a small challenge, and they're trying to work around it. They're trying not to deal with that, trying to compensate with other, whatever it is. Here are the people that had nothing going for them that turned out to be extraordinary. Is they had a huge challenge in their life and they took that head on. That's yep. the, if you want to know who's extraordinary, it's the people that had a huge challenge that they fully mm. embraced and took on. So if you look at it from that standpoint, you say, this is actually counter to what we think. We think an amazing life is one where you don't have a lot of challenges and then you tick all the boxes, and then you're extraordinary. When it turns out the opposite is true, you can't have an extraordinary life unless you have a big challenge that you face and overcome. Yeah. Uh, the problem with your situation, and bless you, I, don't hear me just you know putting a smiley face on things. Big challenges stuck. You you don't want to have to deal with those things, and I and I feel for you, but I think. The thing that we're trying to recognize here is when you have a, a challenge, when you have an abuse, when you have a trauma, whether that's something you put on yourself or someone else has put on you or a combo of those things, which you're going to find to be pretty common if you really examine it in, in full detail, here's what you're going to find out. You're going to find out that normal is what's off the table. Yeah. Mm. Normal life has gone out. We whatever that is, I don't even know. Normal, my life hasn't allowed for a lot of normal. Normal is gone. You have two options left: be extraordinarily busted, <laughs> or or extraordinarily amazing. Mm. Those are your two choices. It sucks that those are the only two choices left. Uh, to you, I, I I want to mourn that with you. If you'd like to mourn it, I I really would. Uh, but the 
the fact is, for all that you've been through and all you've put yourself through, awesome and amazing and extraordinary is still fully on the table for you. That hasn't changed. That hasn't left you. Final thing on this. Um, it, it, let's look at ego within this. When we have a bad past, uh, I'll, we're everybody's stealing, so I'm going to steal. Uh, we we uh, talked about this in our bridge service, and one of the pastors said, you know, uh, I, I know you feel like your past is always following you, but that's that's this is the problem is it should be following you. It shouldn't be catching up to you and being living in your present. Hmm. You, it should always be behind you. It should always be in the past. That's where it belongs. Uh, but what happens is we have that past and we live in it in the, it, we allow it to invade the present and it starts messing with our ego. It starts really making us feel bad about ourselves. And it's like, um, it's like a, 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 there's an infection in our ego. Hmm. Here's the thing. Uh, you have to amputate your ego. If you cut that out, yeah. now now the amputation, the, the infection is gone, the ego is gone. We find out we can live without it. And when I say ego, let me be clear. Uh, ego is that part of us that says, I need external things, external uh, indicators from life, from wealth, from people, from accomplishments to confirm to me what my value is as a person. I look at my past and there's a lot of busted stuff in there, I say, well, then I ha can't have a good ego about myself. Uh, that's different from having a sense of identity that comes from knowing who you are in Christ, knowing who you are in your essential self apart from accomplishments or mistakes or any of those things or what other people think of you or whatever. You have to know who you are and you can't allow your past to um, dictate that to you. And you can't try to ignore your past and say, I'm going to fix my future so that my ego can be healthy again. That's going to get us putting all the wrong priorities into this. And we're going to end up just constantly trying to feed that ego and feed that ego rather than actually improving our lives and letting this turn us into something truly extraordinary. That's really, really fantastic stuff there. And Lee, where would you close us out on this idea? I, I love where these guys are going on this. And, and I want to follow along with that same thing about ego. I think another thing that happens to us that's related to that is that we have resentment over the fact that I wasn't as awesome as I wanted to be. Hmm. Um, okay, then. We have, we have a sense of shame over, I thought I was going to be truly wonderful. And th there's a, there's a, this is the thing that holds us back very easily. I, I can't be this amazing person I want to be or I could have been because I was supposed to be amazing the whole time. And so God can't use me because God would have wanted me to be just as amazing as I thought I was supposed to be the whole time. <laughs> this this goes exactly along as, with what Glenn is saying about ego. And but what it has is it we have this we have this disappointment, uh, resentment, which resentment we know comes from a an unmet expectation. I expected that I was going to be amazing. And this is where the ego balloon deflates, right along with what Glenn was saying. Um, and we 
and th- this is a this is a hard pill to swallow, but um, this goes to the listener just as much as it goes to me. Honey, you were never going to be amazing in that way. It just was never going to go that way. <laughs> and the cool thing about this is, if we can go ahead and deflate that the ego balloon, then we can move right past the shame because this is the amazing part. God always knew you were going to be exactly the person you are. Yeah. He's not confused about the idea that you were going to be some fake person, uh the the invented person who was going to be amazing. He was always going to use the you that is the real you. One of the really encouraging things that helps me when I look at scripture is that like the biggest names in scripture are people who massively screwed up. I mean, you take like the biggest names that anybody knows from the Bible, Moses, David, Paul, and you think, what's one thing they all had in common? They were all murderers. So, you know, it, this is this is what God has to work with. In that's what we call a pretty big oopsie in the business. yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is who this is. These are the big three. They, these are the big people that God used, and and the the cool thing about this is, God is not confused about this at all. There's no part of this in which in which uh, God is like oh scrambling like you know like it's not like the the God called a play in the huddle. And the strong safety crashed, and now he's scrambling, like, how do I make something out of this play that's busted or whatever? No, God always knew who I was going to be. The only person who's confused about the the mistakes from my past is me, because I wanted to be truly amazing the whole time. If I can get over that piece of it, move past all the shame, and just dismiss that, and say, God always knew what my story was going to be, and he always wanted to use me, then I can go to this beautiful place that happens in Isaiah chapter 6, where this dude says to God, I am, I am an unclean person with unclean lips, and I come from a people of unclean lips. And God says, okay, 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 I forgive your sin. My question is, who wants to serve me? Will anybody, is anybody willing to help? And then this dude goes, I'm willing to go. And he goes, let's do this. Saddle up and ride. The real question is not what was your past. The real question is this, who is willing to be used by God? That's the only thing. That's it. And if you're the person who's willing to be used, there is exactly as these brothers are saying, no ceiling to how cool your life could be and how much God wants to use you. The question is not, what have you done? The question is, are you willing to be used? I think that's a fantastic, fantastic place to, to take that off. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we're going to go to Steelception, because I'm going to steal something from Glenn's sermon on this that he stole from me when we were talking about it, <laughs> that I originally stole from Jed talking about another thing. Wow. So we're way deep in it. But that Thieves! There's the idea of an, a spiritual imagination. Uh, the, the point, Glenn, if you listen to his sermon on the Bridge podcast uh, or on our Instagram page, mm. Instagram.com slash the Bridge Chicago. There's a clip of that, but he's, he's we, but the idea he's breaking down is this idea of we sometimes decide what our own biggest limitation is going to be and just kind of live that way. So these guys are describing you. Sometimes you def- decide that your past will put a ceiling on your life. And if you go around with that idea, that 
you make your worst fear come true in that way. Where is what we we're the point Glenn was making the bridge, and what we we're we've discussed about other things is that the limitation is not your past. The limitation is that you you have let your past shrink down what you think your life can be. So you're not pursuing anything beyond what you think you can have, which is really, really, there's a lot of problems with that. And it leads to a lot of misery. It's also just the theology of it's terrible because, you know, Philippians says, you know, God can do more than what we ask or imagine. So you have to kind of let your imagination roam on some of those Mm. things and not in the way of, I imagine God could give me a, a fleet of Ferraris and a giant place to park them. So he can just go ahead and hook that up any day now. But when you let your imagination run, you expand your horizons. You find things you didn't know were there before. You become a person you didn't think you could be. You do things you didn't think you could do. And that doesn't, that happens very rarely by setting a very concrete goal and saying, I'm going to do X big, amazing thing. And then pushing through all the way to do it. That happens occasionally. We, we all know people who've done a version of that. But much more likely it is, I'm going to see where this rabbit trail le- leads, where it ends. And most people who, as, as I'm going to go back to scribe, most people kind of end up doing something crazy and extraordinary and out there. It's because they had some level of stumbling into it. Yeah. Some level of, I didn't know this was a job, or I didn't know this was a thing that these other people would agree to be a part of. But that that process starts with not setting your own limitations and the, the world will try to limit you. Let it do that. You be, you be the one who kind of runs out there without that limitation. Don't, as we would you know say, don't, don't start your negotiation with I'll take less. <laughs> you know, don't go in the job interview and say, I, I see you've listed this as, as $30,000 a year. I'm willing to take 24 just so you know, that's not, you're not going to, they're not going to give you back. So then the world kind of works and, the same way. All right, we're jump to our final question here. It comes in anonymously and it says, I read the verse that said we should be, quote, living sacrifices. And I was wondering, what does that mean? I'm not sure what more I can sacrifice. It feels like I've left so much behind to follow the Lord. Why does God want me to sacrifice so much? Why does he ask so much of me at times? Isn't God already pleased with the sacrifices I have made? And a really cool question about a verse, I think, been in church for a while, you kind of let that float by you. you know, we, maybe it's one of the things that goes a little under-interrogated. So, Lee, where do we kick off this idea of a living sacrifice? Yeah, this is. I'm with you, Matt. This is a really cool question, and you know, one of the things that I can that can tell you from the jump is that that God is is more pleased with you than you could pop, possibly imagine, in the sense that He loves you more than you could absolutely fathom. And, uh, and and he thinks more highly of you than than you think of yourself. When we get when we can get our mind around that 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 Jesus loves me in a way that that I can't even I can't even qualify or quantify. Um, that sets us free on some of these uh, on some of these questions of you know what am I doing? Am I pleasing him? Displeasing him? All that kind of stuff. That's a good place to start. Just kind of getting set free with the fact that that he loves us in ways that we. That we can't even imagine. I, you know, I have to be honest and say, I don't know, I can't really answer all the ins and outs of why this economy of 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 constantly sacrificing is the thing that 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 Jesus wants from us. I can tell you this though. Just a kind of a personal story from myself. Um, there's a guy that 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 I love dearly, um, who came into my life when I was a a senior in high school. Um, and he was one of the pastors of the church where I work now. Uh, still is, and when when I got to know this guy, he just constantly 
um, he constantly made sacrifices for me. Uh, sometimes that was a, a monetary thing. Sometimes that was a time and an energy thing. Sometimes he just did things for me that 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 that, that I needed done or that I couldn't do for myself. I, I was one of those kind of college students whose whose parents moved away, and all of a sudden I didn't have a a home to go back to in the neighboring town, and I was just kind of on my own at, at college. Didn't have my parents, you know, within a ten hour drive of where I was, and um and he became kind of a parent to me in a lot of ways, made a lot of the sacrifices that a parent would make. Um, and, and I'm sure that that relationship, uh, diving into that relationship with me at that level cost this dude a lot. But what I can tell you off of that is that there are very few people in the world who have as loud a voice in my life as that dude does. That dude has the right he has earned the right to say things to me that that nobody else in my life could say. Um, you know, I can't answer all the. You know, why does why does God why does He want us to to do it this way to to always kind of lay down our life and sacrifice and stuff like that? And I, I don't know all the answers to that, but I can tell you that the people who have sacrificed and served me in that way are the people that I listen to the most, the people that I respect the most, the people whose voices are loudest to me. There's a place in Philippians chapter two that says, um, talking about Jesus, where Paul says that even though he was God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, made himself nothing, taking the very form of a servant. Um, I was reading um, a, a, a Greek scholar one time who said, that you could translate that section where it says, even though he was God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He said, you could render that little word because he was God. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. And what this guy was saying was that this is the, this is the heart of God. This is God's heart. That his his heart is towards emptying himself. His heart is towards serving people. Because do you know that feeling? Have you had that person in your life who has made sacrifices for you, who's who has given their time and their energy for you in a real tangible way? And I can tell you that everybody on this show, we've had that person in their in our life who has really laid their life down for us, and that person has the loudest voice in our life. That is the person we respect. That's the person that we listen to. That's the person who's earned the right to be heard. This is the, that's the way God's heart is. He's sacrificed for us. And he knows that when we lay our lives down and sacrifice for other people, that's a really huge way that we become a loud voice of respect in their life. That's a really, really interesting and really cool place to start this off. And Jared, where, Jed, where would you pick us up on this? Because I think... Um, Lee did a lot of great work on this idea of living sacrifice. Yeah. But I think one of the things we need to look at is this being part of a larger conversation. It's easy, yeah. I think, for people to look at big, hairy terms, particularly, and I don't know why we're all wired this way, when it seems like a negative thing, Yeah. to pick a phrase like living sacrifice out of the Bible and think, that's it. That's the key. That harsh, negative-seeming thing is really what God wants from us. There's like love and grace and whatever, but sacrifice, that's sure. the one. What, what do we do with that kind of instinct? You know, it's a great question. I think that we need to insist for ourselves, particularly if we know that we have a tendency to, to go to the negative, I think we need to insist for ourselves that we have a more holistic picture. Um, throughout the Bible, you can find examples of people where 
God refers to them in a variety of ways that point in kind of different directions. Yeah, you know, David is referred to as a man after God's own heart. God also sends the prophet Nathan to harshly rebuke him, uh, ending with the really harsh accusation, thou art the man. Um, you know, I mean, uh, Jesus, uh, at one point, it's a part of a broader discussion, but, but he's saying to his disciples that, uh, you know, when you, when you've done all the stuff that I ask you to do, uh, you, you should say to yourselves, we've only done our duty for we are unworthy servants, but elsewhere he says, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. So which, which is it is, is, is David a bad guy or is he a man after God's own heart? Are the disciples unworthy servants or are they friends? Which is it? Well, the truth is, A, we need context to understand what's going on in Scripture throughout. And the second is that the Bible is a big book with a lot in it, and our walk with the Lord is meant to be multifaceted, which is part of why the Bible is a big book with a lot in it. Does God call you to make sacrifices? Yes, absolutely. That's 100% true. But is that the whole of what God wants his relationship with you to look like? No, not even close. God calls you to make sacrifices. He also calls you his child, his beloved, the one he would leave everything behind to go after, and in fact, of course, did. And the question is, are we paying attention to those other aspects of our identity too? Um, And if we're not, why aren't we? Yes, God does call you to to make sacrifices. God God calls you to to do things that probably wouldn't be your preference to do. But God also wants to shower you with blessings. Amen. Uh, God wants to pour joy and peace and love into your heart. He wants to bring good fellowship into your life. He wants to to give you a sense of of meaning and and purpose and and um and belonging. Uh are we letting God do those things? Do we know how to receive those things from the Lord? Are, maybe an even more important question, are we comfortable with those ideas? Are we comfortable with those things? Because I think if we've grown up in a certain kind of church culture, we're very used to thinking of ourselves as a naughty, naughty, terrible, no good Christian. And on that basis, the idea of doing a bunch of stuff that we really don't want to do and calling it a sacrifice and um, assuming that's what God wants, well, it all makes sense. It all, it all tracks end to end. The idea that God would be desperately in love with us and would throw a party in our honor, that we just don't have a space in our brains to compute. And I think that we need to go even further with it where... For a lot of us, when it comes to the idea of making sacrifices, we're not listening to the Lord in terms of going to listening for his guidance through the still small voice of the Holy Spirit in prayer, wise counsel from other believers, the witness of scripture, to see, is God asking me in my individual life to make a specific sacrifice in this specific context? We're just saying that this is a hard thing that I don't want to do. It's probably what God wants. That's not it. That's just being fixated on discomfort, displeasure, and pain as some sort of holy thing, which it is not like at all. A healthy walk with the Lord embraces that there are times that that God wants to just bring things that are just purely good and cool and amazing into our lives. Yep. And there are other times where he is specifically asking us 
in a way that he might not ask other people to give up a concrete, specific thing to make a sacrifice because it doesn't fit in the life that he's leading us into. That both of those things are are true and necessary to a healthy, um, ongoing, vibrant Christian life. But maybe the first sacrifice that we need to make is thinking of ourselves as that awful, awful, no good, terrible Christian that God doesn't much care for. And on that basis, whatever the most painful and unpleasant thing is, we'll just assume that's the thing God wants us to do. Maybe that's the first sacrifice that we need to make because it's not true. It has nothing to do with the witness of Scripture. It is counter to Scripture, and it's actually keeping us from hearing what God has for us. Uh, both, both the stuff that we'd be tempted to describe as good and the stuff that we would maybe, at least initially, rather not do. But if we've got something, if we've got an attitude or a belief about ourselves that's stealing all joy and keeping us from being able to hear the Lord's voice more clearly, that's probably pretty high on the list of things that it's time to uh, sacrifice on the altar. God loves you. He sees you as his child. He sees you as his beloved. He wants to bring good things into your life. Sometimes he's going to ask you to make sacrifices. On the other side of them, you will be glad that you made them when they are the sacrifices he's actually asking you to make. But we need to be deeply suspicious of the attitudes in our heart that want to focus just on the negative and just on the painful and just on the unpleasant. It's a really, really great point. And Glenn, where do we close out this idea of a living sacrifice? Well, and, and, and let me build on what both of these gentlemen are saying, because I think you're asking the exact right question. Living sacrifice is—the living part is the key part of all of this. Yes. Because for some reason, in your mind, what you may be hearing is sacrifice means killing. <laughs> <laughs> but he said living for a reason. Um, we think of sacrifices as something that goes away and never comes back. Uh, but but again, that's killing. That's not life. It's not having life and having it more abundantly. Uh, that's what God wants for us. He tells us in, in Scripture that's what he wants for us. Here's the thing. Um, let, let's use a, 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 a concrete example. Let's say that um, you love bowling. I, I don't know why people would love bowling, but some people really do. Some people really do. You you love bowling. The image that you have in your mind when someone says living sacrifice might be to say, "I have to kill the thing that I love, and it will die." Uh, and that's my sacrifice. That's not a living sacrifice. You're you're just taking something that you enjoy, and as as Jed is pointing out, you're just making yourself feel bad. And calling that holy. That's not that's not holy at all. That's just weird. Yeah. Don't do that because that's weird. Yeah. People look at you and say, Why aren't you bowling? You say, For Jesus. People say, You know what, Bill, you're weird. Yeah. Um, and uh, and and also Jesus thinks you're weird too. So let's rein it in, Bill. So well, let's say you love bowling. Okay. That's what you love. The idea is that you take bowling to God and say, God, I present my love of bowling unto thee. What are we going to do with that? I, at the present, I can't imagine anything. But the Lord might come to you and say, here are a group of teens that need something to do and to stay out of trouble. They would like this. Here are some uh, women in a women's recovery center, and they don't ever leave that building. And that's you know, 
something that lets him get out and just relax and have fun, and you can show him how to do it, and they just get to be outside of themselves, and you can witness, and you can listen to their struggles, and you can eat really bad nachos. This is really amazing stuff. God can do amazing things with your love of bowling if you give it to him okay, and let him do something amazing with it. That's what being a living sacrifice means. If you just, you know, you, you might look at your life and say, okay, present your bodies as living sacrifice. When I think of bodies, I think he's talking about sex. So I, that means I should just kill my sex life. Just, it died. <laughs> well, that's not being a living sacrifice. You're taking a unsatisfying, uh, uh, you know, not fully uh, healthy uh, sex life that's just, it's just not quite meeting your need and giving that to God and letting him give you a healthy relationship that's where, where that sex life is far more fulfilling because it's connected to a more meaningful relationship. And you're going to be uh, experiencing a more abundant life because you gave him uh, your sex life. You, you made that sacrifice so that he could make something amazing out of it. That's the whole point. Is what, It's the purpose that your life gains when you let him take control. So this is about your life getting better and richer and more full, and then blessing the people around you because your that fullness is is uh, overpouring your life into the lives of the people around you. Here's the question I like to ask: Look back in your past, the things that you um, set aside in order to pursue a closer relationship with God. How much of that do you regret? I mean, at the time, it's killing you, right? But in the moment, when, when when you get past that moment and you look at, okay, I set aside the sexual stuff that I was doing, then I met an amazing person, then we got married, then I found out what a sex life really was all about. Uh, there's a there's a nurturing, there's there's a fulfilling, there's a whole different dimension to that that I never thought was there. So I say, okay, go back to when you gave up that old sex life, do you regret now that you did that back then? People said, no, that was the smartest thing I ever did. That's, my life is way better now. Well, okay, so it's not that you killed something that died and went away forever. You, you, you gave up something that was a mess for something that was amazing. That's what being, a, when, when I say living sacrifice, that's what I mean. I don't know what craziness is in y'all's head that y'all make up. Here, here's what I'm saying. Right at the end of this, um, and this part to me is really key. Right at the end of this verse, he says, uh, you know, offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Other uh, translations translate that as this is your reasonable worship yeah. or acceptable yeah. when you get a lot of when you get like a whole range of things you got to go back and look that one up uh the and what's funny is it's a very simple word uh that we get our english word logic from yep uh it's it, 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 but what it means is the that we're this is a life that is pleasing to god it's pleasing to us and it is good. It's pleasing because it's good, and because it's good, it's pleasing. And that that is logical to God. 
Yeah. It's not logical to us because we don't, you know, it's this like a heavenly, uh, 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 holy and sanctified, uh, perfect idea of what is logical to do with your life. It's logical to give up your selfish little bowling that you do by yourself and you're weird and you don't, and you're, you're saying, I have to make myself feel terrible, whatever. You gave up all of that to say, I'm taking on this whole bowling ministry that the Lord has opened up to me. I'm giving up this. The, uh, it is only logical for me to give up this busted sex life for something that's far more fulfilling and uplifting. So I think when we when we uh, are trying to apply this verse, it's about starting with the idea of there's something illogical in my thinking that is holding me back. And that if I have God's wisdom, I see it with this logic, this heavenly logic mm. that allows me to see what are the smart choices I need to make. That's all really, really fantastic stuff. And I, I'll add one more uh, kind of Bible nerdatorium uh, aspect to this. Um, as as often it happens, it is good to look at what comes immediately before a therefore quickly in Paul's letters, so again, with the, and I don't think we mentioned this, the verse we're talking about is Romans 12.1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper, which is the complicated word, uh, let's talk about there, worship. So uh, before that is kind of one of the more high-minded kind of poetry-ish pieces of things Paul writes, and it's the doxology in Romans 11. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. So there's that. And then, therefore, I urge you, to do this thing we're talking about, which I think ties into exactly what, what Glenn is saying there. One of the one of the things that's really kind of unique about Christianity, and certainly of the the uh, religions and uh, philosophies and whatnot of the time and the area where it's in, in the kind of the Greek world and the Jewish world, is it does not make a distinction between there's these really high minded spiritual ethereal things, and then there's kind of the work-a-day, awful body things. The Greeks literally thought that spirit is a different thing, and it's what matters. That's what matters in spiritual and religious context. And your body is just kind of this thing you're trapped in, and we wish we could break the bonds of it. So, and again, that kind of ties back to this idea of we're thinking of, we read something like this, and there's that part of us that wants to assume that means doing something big and making these changes for a more more spiritual person. Really, a big part of what I think Paul is saying here is the weird thing is he talks about your body. Your body is a living sacrifice and you can do all things to, as an act of worship. It makes sense. And uh, certainly some of those are going to be in a ministerial context and helping things other like Glenn's talking about, you know, but there's also your unwinding stuff. If you don't kick off the bowling ministry, if bowling is just something you go do on your day off because it centers you and it makes you feel less crazy. That's, that's an act of worship. That's not a frivolous thing that you are, uh, doing something that uh, feeds you and helps you center yourself. We all have little hobbies and stuff that aren't part of our ministry that we don't try to lay into that. That's just as much an act of worship because that's a you and God thing. That's one of the real powerful things about this idea. And we're talking about this idea of a living sacrifice is that idea that it's not 
overly dramatic or overly uh, high-minded or overly spiritual or overly theological. It's that idea that you can you can get up and go to work to the glory of God, and you can do your hobby to the glory of God, and you can hang out with your friends to the glory of God, yeah. and that's all as much a living sacrifice as the, as the big thing you're thinking. So as often happens, I find when I go to things, particularly in the New Testament, the Pauline letters, if you take that thing that seems like this is saying that this is the big, hairy, important, crazy thing, often that is almost the opposite. Paul's trying to point out how important the little things we do are and how much they, you know, he's talking about, you know, that you can do your bowling by yourself and get your sanity back in a way that is holy and pleasing to God. That's a crazy, amazing thing. Yeah, that can that can fuel you for some other ministry that you're yeah, doing. You, that's you, what recharges the batteries. Yeah, and that's not, because it that isn't the thing that feels super holy doesn't mean it's not. God right. doesn't, kind of takes back to where Jed was saying, you know, God doesn't look at these things the way we do, which is a very, very cool thing. All right, if you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com. Take a song this week. This is a version of Jed's worship song, So Here I Am, but this version is by our friend Glenn Kaiser. Very Ooh, cool nice. version from the album Homes for Heroes, which is available on Spotify currently. Take that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you, God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. I, for one, can't wait to see the pilot episode of Law & Order Special Liturgical Unit. <laughs> <laughs> if you were looking for accomplishment Stand a change, but you said you wanted failures, so here I am. If you were looking for intelligence, then you know I wouldn't stand a change. But you said you wanted fools, so here I am. Here I am